You are listening to Mission Green Podcast. I am Nehida Nejmi. Isn't that nice? It's been a while since I heard that sound. It's the time of year where every part of me starts craving the rain. But this year, the feeling is especially strong. If we don't have a wet winter ahead of us, it could get really bad. Already, wells are running dry, reservoirs are concerningly low, and some parts of the Bay Area are facing mandatory water restrictions. You are listening to Mission Green Podcast. This podcast is made by the NIMS Environment Club Fornoon Section in association with Mission Green. Contact our coordinator Nahida Najumadeen for queries regarding our team. Mail us to nahidanims60 at gmail.com. I have got a confession to make. I have lived abroad for years and I only just saw the movie Chinatown. If you haven't seen it, know this. It's considered among the greatest movies of all time and it's probably the movie that people think of when they think of California and water. The film is loosely based on true events when Los Angeles bought up water rights in the rural Orange Valley and then stole its water. I'm doing it. It's going to be a lot of irate citizens when they find out that they're paying for water that they're not going to get. Oh, that's all taken care of. See, Mr. Kitts, either you bring the water to L.A. or... It may be Hollywood, but the water wires are very much alive. But here's the thing. Almost every expert that we spoke with for this series has said that this kind of thinking, this us versus them mentality, it's not helpful if we want to make sure that all the population can keep living and working. We need a new approach. We also have Seba Fatima joining with us from 11K. Hi, Seba. Hi, Nahida. This is our first episode and I'm a bit excited today. What about you, Seba? Yeah, I'm super duper excited. Didn't we just go through a drought? Like, how are we here again? We did and it officially ends until 2017. But here we are again because we're seeing more frequent hot dry periods. And that's in part because of a changing climate. The problem is that a lot of states' water infrastructure, less like the dams, the aqueducts, the pipelines, they're all built with the belief that places like California would always get lots of snow in mountains each winter. The system is built under the assumption that about 30% of our water will slowly melt each spring and fill up the reservoirs. But it's not happening like that anymore. As the climate changes, we are seeing these dramatic swings between wet and dry. Take this last year, we saw a few big storms and not much else. Yeah, and there's good skying when it happened. But then there was nothing, so our infrastructure isn't built to handle that. Well, we also have Shirsadi Uruch from 10J joining us. Hi, Shirsadi. Hi, Seva. Well, Shirsadi, tell us a little bit about how people have traditionally thought about drought and helps us to understand why we can really think about it that way anymore. 
Yeah, droughts used to be these events that would occasionally happen, and we would always have long enough wet periods or normal periods in between that our groundwater basically could recover, our ecosystem could recover. Generally speaking, we could recover from the stress that was put on us by the drought. Unfortunately, what we are seeing now is more frequent droughts and drier and hotter droughts, which means that there is a limited time for any part of our system to fully recover. It's becoming something much more frequent and maybe our new normal. So we have to actually shift our mindset. We have to rethink the way we as individuals behave. We have to sort of embrace this as our new reality. And if we actually take this as a new normal, we will certainly don't function and govern and manage our resources the way we are doing it right now. I know it's tempting to look at the end of part of the state and say, look, there are problems. But in reality, everything we've talked about from the changing weather patterns to the outdated infrastructure, all that impacts both cities and farmers. If you think about it in California, we have this is a very, very impressive, sophisticated and complex water infrastructure network and water system that moves water from water rich areas to areas that don't necessarily have a lot of water. And that infrastructure design has enabled population growth in regions that don't naturally would be able to maintain the amount of population that they have or be able to function as they do. So every part of the state sort of experiencing this from RBA area to all the way to Southern California. Which sort of means that we can't afford to be divided on this anymore. I mean, I think you see a lot of conflict over water and finger pointing about who wastes more water, who is more responsible for being irresponsible water. But it sort of seems like we're all in the same boat here. Yeah, we all are in the same boat here. There are definitely groups that they can do better, cities that they can do better, agriculture practices that can be improved, industries that can do better. But there are always people out there, you know, that can do better. Agriculture does consume about 70% of water and the urban areas around 20%. In between is some industries. The reality is in our cities that we live in, we use the product from agriculture. We change our diet pattern based on the agriculture products that we want and also we have we actually have a lot of food waste which also has a significant footprint we are part of the cycle no matter what we do and we have to shift this paradigm together one quick note about conception numbers here shahzadi is talking about the water's human use but when we look at all the water in the state you'll often hear a different breakdown about half of the all water in the state go back into the environment 40 percent is used by the agriculture and 10 percent is used in the urban what are like one or two big dramatic changes that agriculture could do to deserve, conserve water and play their part in the fact that we're all this together? Agriculture can do a lot more to recharge groundwater, to actually preserve groundwater, to not use a lot of groundwater. Now that we are moving to more permanent crops such as orchids and trees, you know, those kinds of crops, they require a uh, lot of water and are permanent so you can't really not water them so as far as we have a lot of those already that's i guess it's the reality but you should actually not grow more maybe we should not transition to a lot of these permanent crops and also there's a lot of waste in this process as well how can we reduce that waste therefore sort of harness that water or reduce their water footprint which is extremely important because there's a lot of products that actually are grown use water and soil and also the resources but they never make it to the market and they actually go to waste. Okay, some good ideas for agriculture. But I know that there's a lot we lot that who we live in cities can do as well. 
So in the spirit of everyone kind of playing their part, how do you recommend that we across the future? I would say no matter where we are looking, always conservation and efficiency comes first. It is the cheapest water that we can have. You know, it's the best water that we can have. And actually, it reduces the amount of degradation we are causing to the environment or the quality of the water. Another one that is actually sort of the same level, we're protecting Protecting our water supplies, we have a lot of water supplies that are impacted by various industrial activities or the quality of the water has been degraded for various reasons. So as we're thinking about solution, one other thing, one other way to think about it as we're building future cities, future communities, new housing developments, do we really need to build it in the same way? We built it in 50 years ago, 100 years ago, or do we need to rethink the way we do things that can very much change the way we use water and we consume water? As we're thinking about these solutions for future, building for future, planning for future, how do we keep the equity at the center and make sure that we don't leave behind the fox who maybe can't buy their way out of this problem? That is actually a very, very important point that you brought up. A couple of things. One is, as I was listing my priorities and how to deal with future water, you notice I started some conservation efficiency and then went down to, like, you know, reuse, recycling. The reality is whatever we do ends up adding to the cost of infrastructure that we have now. The HAVES can do it maybe, but within all those communities, the major water utilities, there are also people who cannot afford to pay for the water. This is kind of a complicated point she's making. The rate we pay for water isn't just for the water itself. It's for the stuff we do to get the water here and to clean it up. The more we have to treat the water, the more expensive it is. Shrizad is worried that water districts will invest in big, expensive projects like desalination plants based on the current demand numbers. But then down the road, as people figure out ways to gradually get off the grid, like by installing a grey water system, or only the poorest people will be paying for the expensive water. So if we end up investing in infrastructure that's not needed, then some of these people will be left to pay for this, like AC infrastructure or pay for infrastructure that we don't need. So it's very, very important as we are transitioning, we do this in a very strategic way. You know, as we are thinking about future, are we doomed or can we get out of this thing in few do the right things? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of inefficiencies in our current system that can be fixed. We definitely can do a lot more and just to sort of make sure we use every drop of water properly. And if we do all the right things, we can survive. But if we don't, we actually we can actually have a serious breakdown in the system. So we have to be able to adapt to this near reality, which means that we have to rethink how we are using water in different ways and reduce waste. That's the most important part of this process. That was Shahzadi Urud and Seba Fatima. Mission Green Podcast is made by the Environment Lab for No Section, NIMS Dubai, and I, Nahida Najmuddin, as the President, and Yukta Jayagumar, the Secretary of the Club. We'll be back next week. Catch us on every Thursdays. Bye bye. This is Nahida Najmuddin signing off. <laughs>